you love to travel and save money? Or do you wish you could travel but money is holding you back? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Families Fly Free podcast, where I show you how to fly your family free forever using my simple fly free formula. I'm your host, Lynn Mettler. My family of four has mastered the art of flying free as simply as possible since 2015, and I want to show your family how to do it too. Hey everyone, welcome to the Family's Fly Free podcast. I am Lynn Mettler. I hope everyone's having a great week so far. Today, I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is Europe. So I am seeing a lot of our members um, and a lot of my team, everyone is interested in heading to Europe again. So as uh, restrictions have relaxed and we've had, you know, gosh, a couple of years here where it was just um, next to impossible to get over to Europe, this pent up demand, as we're seeing across the travel industry, you know, is starting to open wide for folks who want to get back to Europe again. And so inside the Families Fly Free membership throughout the month of May, Europe is going to be our theme. So that means um, every week we're going to have a live webinar, as we always do. Um, But this month's theme is going to be all about Europe. So we're going to be talking about um, how to get cheap accommodations in Europe, Um, not just hotels and vacation rentals, but things like yurts and hostels and timeshares. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about train travel in Europe because that can be confusing, but it's also extremely convenient to get around um, different cities over there. And then we're going to be delving into Rome specifically. I'm going to be leading that webinar and giving all my best tips for what to see and do and how to save on a trip to Rome. And then um, this Thursday, we're going to be doing a webinar on Paris. So also one of my favorite places, one of the most, probably the most beautiful city I have ever seen. And so we're going to be doing the same thing, giving you um, our best tips for what to see and do in Paris, where to stay, how to save, how to get around, um, all of that good stuff. So if you want to um, get in live this month to attend these webinars on Europe, um, sign up soon. And um, if you're not on my email list, you should be. You can go to familiesflyfree.com and click on join email list um, to get on the email list. But the price of membership is officially going up Friday, May 5th. So Again, if you've been thinking about it and you just haven't taken the plunge yet, this would be the time to do it. So you can get in at the current price. You can get access to our live content this month, all about Europe. um, And you won't kick yourself later on that you waited and let the price go up and you didn't join. So we'd love to have you check it out at familiesflyfree.com slash join. So let's get down to talking about Europe. So when it comes to flying free, like for my family, Traveling to Europe was just a dream beyond imagining for me. So I remember, you know, back 15 years ago, I love the book Under the Tuscan Sun by Francis Mays. And I remember picking up that book and just being utterly enthralled and, um, you know, wanting so much to be able to see for myself 
what that would look like. So I could, I daydreamed about it. I imagined these rolling hills of Tuscany with all the beautiful pinks and oranges and yellows and greens um, over there. But I thought, I'm never going to be able to afford to do that. You know, only in my wildest dreams will we ever get to Europe. So when we started learning how to fly free, and we spent the first couple of years, um, navigating the U.S. because we really hadn't done much travel around the U.S. and uh, figuring out Southwest system and how to play that to the max. Once we felt like we had that down, then we were ready to graduate to um, see if we could fly all of us to Europe. And so at the time, the um, Chase Sapphire Reserve card was brand new and it had a hundred thousand point offer. And so my husband was able to get that. And we used just that offer alone to fly all four of us to Europe on Aer Lingus. And so that was in 2017. And we've been back many times since, but I was just amazed that I was actually going to be able to take even not just my husband and I, but our kids too, and not pay anything for us to uh, fly on miles to Europe. So I have to tell you, as much as we were excited to go to Europe, we were also extremely nervous. So I had been to Europe once, just me, um, for a trip with a client um, to Malta. And so I had at least um, been overseas, but my family had not. And in Malta, pretty much everyone speaks English and I was with a group. So it was um, a little bit less nerve wracking. So to, for us to go on our own to countries that don't speak English, we were just very nervous because we had never experienced that before. It was scary. So if you feel that, I want you to know that's totally normal if you've never been, or maybe it's been a long time since you've been. Um, I think many, many people feel that because it's completely out of the norm of our regular routine and of our safety and security of a country where everyone speaks our language and we know the customs and we know how to get around and we know what they, what kind of food they have and all of that. So it's okay to feel that way. Just delve into that. Um, so what I want to do today is kind of give you my best tips on if you are a first timer to Europe, or it's been a long time since you've been the things that I think that you need to know, and that we learned after that first trip over there and kind of what you don't really need to be worried about, but some things that you can prepare ahead of that we were surprised um, about when we got there. Um, so let's talk about the language. So I think that's for most people the scariest part. So we, on that trip, we went to Ireland and we started there. So they speak English there. So that was a good way to, to kind of, um, ease into the whole language and that we were in a different country thing. And then from there, we went to Paris and then from Paris, we went on into Italy. So we uh, went to Bologna and we traveled around Tuscany, um, and then uh, flew back to Dublin and then, and then back home. So we had French and Italian that we had to, to navigate on that trip. And so what I do enjoy learning languages and you can go back and listen to my podcast about how I've been studying Italian the last couple of years in a very non-traditional way, but, um, I had studied Spanish all through, you know, middle school to college, um, and really enjoyed that. So what I did is I just picked up a couple of, um, books by Rick Steves, one on French and one on Italian that were kind of pocket guides that are easy to stick into a backpack. And I just made it a point. Um, and I especially worked on it on the flights over or between, you know, destinations 
um, the, just some basic words. So I feel like if you can just learn the basic ways that people greet one another, you can learn please and thank you. You can learn open and closed. Um, you'll be in pretty good shape. And it's amazing how much gesturing and pointing, how much you can get across with that. And we found almost everywhere we went, most people spoke some English, but what I recommend is you don't just assume that because I think that's a little bit rude. Um, so at least greet them in the native language. Again, you can point and use the word please. Um, when they give you something, make sure you say thank you in their language. And I think just making that small effort goes a long way. And I think you get a much better response from the locals when they see that you're trying. Um, and even if you want to try, you know, the, these little books give you some, you know, key questions and phrases that you can use when you're ordering food or if, is there a table available and buying tickets for the train. You can try some of that and you're not going to say it perfectly by any stretch, but I think they really appreciate the effort. Um, and then they usually will, you know, switch into English and help you out. So that's my recommendation for the language. And I came back from that trip, just dying to learn French and Italian. And so um, I tried a little bit of both and I ended up sticking with Italian because it was easier for me. It was uh, more similar to Spanish. And so um, I just picked up on it much more quickly. And so I've just continued to study that weekly online with a tutor in Italy on Skype so that I am forced to speak it and forced to practice understanding her. Um, and so I hope that when we were hoping to go to Italy this summer that I'll be able to really put it in practice what I've learned over the last couple of years. So let's talk about food. That was another big concern for us because uh, one of our kids is definitely a very picky eater. And so he was definitely worried too, that he would have nothing to eat over there. Um, and you just don't quite know what the customs and, and, you know, everything are until you go. And so Italy really was no problem for him because there's pizzas everywhere and they're the best pizzas on earth because that's where pizzas originated. They're like a official world heritage um, custom or cultural um, item over there. Um, they, you know, pizzas were actually developed in the Naples area. So the most delicious pizzas you'll ever have in, in you, most kids um, will, will eat that. In um, the other countries, we were a little bit more limited. Um, and so we, we would have to unfortunately hit up McDonald's, which you can pretty much find in most places, you know, certainly in the bigger cities or some more familiar chains um, for things that our kids would eat um, while we enjoyed more of the local cuisine. A couple of things I'll note on that. Um, when you're looking for a restaurant to eat um, overseas is you want to steer clear of the tourist traps um, because those are not going to be good. And they're going to be overpriced. And the way you identify those are a lot of times they'll have someone out front trying to wave people in. Um, that's not a good sign. Um, if the menu has pictures on it, also not a good sign. Um, and if the menu is in English, also not a good sign. So most um, local places will have a menu in English if you ask for it, or they'll see that you're um, American when you go in and, and they'll offer that to you. But if it's out front in English, that means they're trying to attract tourists. And that's generally not where you want to go. You want to find these little holes in the wall. You want to find these local places. And again, that's where asking for recommendations can be really helpful. So when we went to Rome, for example, um, I knew several people who go to Rome regularly. And so I was able to ask them, like, what are some good local restaurants? And there was one, we've now been to Rome twice, but um, that was recommended. And we tried both times and there's no reservations and there's 
an hours long wait of people out the door both times that we went. So that's your sign of, of a good restaurant right there. Um, and look and see if it looks like locals are eating there, you know, instead of tourists. And that can be a sign. Another thing is breakfast was surprising to us. Like they don't seem to have breakfast over there, um, particularly in France and Italy. They had a little bit heartier of a breakfast we found in Ireland, but they do not eat eggs for breakfast in these countries. Um, typically they eat eggs for lunch, like as an omelet um, or in other dishes, but it's not, there's no scrambled eggs over there. Um, and like they both, both I would say in France and Italy, both tended to just have a pastry and a coffee for breakfast. And that was it. And so that's pretty much all you will find if you're going out looking for breakfast. And in Italy, they have what are called bars and they're not like a uh, bar in America where you go to drink there, um, where you sit and have coffee and chat with your friends. And so they will have light pastries for breakfast. Um, they will have sandwiches, panini type of things for lunch. Um, in um, France, you'll find um, bakeries that have baguettes and oh, the most delicious sandwiches made on baguettes. The um, ham and cheese is my favorite. Like I could live on that, I think. So good over there. Um, so those are the types of things that you're going to find to eat. And then they do tend to have bigger meals and they eat late. So 7.30 is as early as it gets for dinner. So don't show up to a restaurant at six and expect it to be open because it won't be. Um, so they eat as late as nine and 10 sometimes. And my theory is that's why they don't have a big breakfast because they're still full from a big dinner the night before. Um, and one last note on that is milk. If you have kids that like milk, they do not drink cold milk over in Europe, at least not the countries we've been to. We've been to Spain also. So this, I'm giving you my take, I would say, across those uh, four countries, France, Italy, Spain, and Ireland. Um, but uh, they will give it to you warm. So like anywhere we would ask, even in Ireland for milk, they would just give us warm milk like to put in coffee. That's how they use it. So you have to specifically ask for cold milk. And then what we eventually started doing was... Um, just finding a local market or grocery and then just getting some cold milk there and put it in our refrigerator of our accommodation because I do have my youngest son loves milk and that's about all he will drink. He will drink like a soda or Gatorade or something now, but um, milk is important. So that was surprising to us at the time. Okay, let's talk about what you need to pack. Um, so there's some things that you might not think about here. So one thing I'd recommend is don't just bring like what you'd wear to Disney World, the flip-flops and shorts and tank tops type of thing. That's gonna, it's basically putting a sign on your head that says you're a tourist and you wanna be careful of pickpockets and that type of thing over there. And you don't wanna overly identify yourself as an easy target. So they tend to dress nicer over there. Um, so um, skirts and, you know, jeans or pants that, you know, I would say try to avoid the flip-flops and the shorts everywhere um, and pack something a little bit nicer. You also, if you're going to be going in churches or holy sites, you're going to need, women um, are going to need to have uh, skirts that cover their knees and their shoulders can't be exposed. So one fix to that is just to bring a scarf with you that you could easily just put around your shoulders if you need. Um, but keep that in mind with the shorts and the short skirts. Um, that if you're going to be doing churches for the day, some of them require that you, you can't come in unless you have um, skirts longer than your knees. So prep for that. We don't recommend bringing um, expensive jewelry because of the pickpocketing. And we were even told um, by our Vatican tour guide in Rome, I actually had forgotten and 
the first trip we took to Europe, I didn't take my rings. Um, but the second trip I just forgot. And, uh, she pointed out to me, don't, don't wear your rings in certain parts of Italy, because they're going to think that what'd she say? She said in certain parts, they feel like if one person has something nice, we should all share in it. <laughs> so, so I had to take my rings off and kind of put them in my money belt, like when going through train stations and such. Cause I thought if someone who lives in Rome, and as a tour guide um, is telling me that that's probably correct. Not just a, you know, a stereotype or a scare tactic. So you might want to leave the jewelry at home. Um, we recommend bringing washcloths because for some reason they don't seem to use washcloths in those countries. All we can figure is they must use soap with their hand um, when they're cleaning themselves. But um, we, unless you're staying in a very like American chain hotel, you're probably not going to find washcloths and they don't even really know. Like if you try, we tried asking for them. They didn't even know what we we're talking about. So I recommend buying disposable washcloths. Um, or I guess, I suppose you could just bring washable washcloths if you have access to a washer and dryer in your accommodation. But these disposable ones are basically, you just kind of like they're discs and you drop them in water and they expand and they're not great, but they serve the purpose that they're supposed to. Um, and then lastly, bringing a money belt because because of the problem of pickpocketing. We've never had an issue with that um, since we've been going, um, but we're very aware of it. And so I do always wear a money belt under my clothing so that it wouldn't be accessible to anyone. I always have a backpack too. Um, and so anyway, even if they were to access my backpack, they um, wouldn't be able to get to our money and our passports and IDs and that type of thing. Um, another shocker for me was the um, bathroom slash toilet situation over there. So here in America, we generally have pretty nice bathrooms and toilets. Um, even at even our gas station bathrooms are nicer than some of their regular bathrooms. So a lot of places there's no like um, there's no lid and there's no top seat to the toilet. It's just a bowl. So that works fine for men, doesn't work so great for women. Um, so I always carry with me a packet of travel tissues so that if I want to attempt to sit on it, I at least have tissues to use. And you may also not find toilet paper. So it's good to have those tissues. Some places you literally will find a hole in the floor. Um, so that's fun. <laughs> so just be aware of that. Like we saw that in Tuscany for sure. And I feel like we've seen it somewhere else, but I can't remember where. Um, some bathrooms are paid. You have to put in some coins to use the bathroom. So it's good to have some coins with you. We were in Tuscany that one time where there was, there was the bathroom with the hole that was free, but then there was a nicer one that required coins. And so thank goodness we had some coins and I could use that one. We also, um, another funny, when we were in um, Axe in Provence uh, in France, there actually was, it was a paid toilet but it was like actually a room and it was closed and it was like in the middle of their, you know, a busy street. And so you put your money in and you used the bathroom. And then when you were done, you came out and the whole thing washed itself before the next person went in. I thought that was utterly fascinating. It was like the car wash of bathrooms. So I'd never seen that before, but like around Notre Dame, there are paid restrooms. And again, we, we saw that in Tuscany as well. It's always good to have some coins. Um, Yes. So that's the toilet situation. So don't be shocked by that. Um, in Italy, um, 
we love the tobacco, which is really the tobacco shop where you buy tobacco, but it actually is like a drugstore in America, like a Walgreens or a CVS or something. So that's where you'll go to get like snacks or waters. And it's also where you go to get bus tickets. Um, they don't have medicines like you would find um, like Tylenol or, you know, those types of things in the tobacco. You will find that at their pharmacy. Um, but, but the tobacco is basically good for everything else. And you, that's where, if you're going to be riding the bus, you pay cash. So make sure you have plenty of cash. Always recommending bringing double or triple the amount of cash you think you will need because a lot of places only take cash in Europe. Um, so like you will need cash for the bus tickets. Um, you will need it if you're buying, you know, uh, drinks in the store. Um, and we even found some restaurants where, we assumed they took a credit card and we finished our meal and they did not. So we had to one time walk down the road and get some cash out of an ATM. And you're going to pay a fee probably to do that um, overseas. So better to bring enough cash with you. And it's cheapest to get it from the bank before you leave, like from your local bank. And you want to give them a couple days time to order it because they don't generally just have it sitting around. Um, and there are services like, um, I think it's travel exchange, it's called, where you can order it in advance and like pick it up at an airport if they have a kiosk at your airport, but you're going to pay a larger fee to do that than if you just get it from your bank. So it never hurts to have more than you think you need, um, because we've found every time we never had quite enough cash with us. All right, let's talk a little bit about train travel. But again, that's something we're going to delve into specifically inside the membership this month. We're going to give you our best tips on that. But um, what I recommend here is um, riding the like the country train. Um, so like it's Train Italia in Italy, for example, and they're going to have trains going throughout the country to different cities going to their website. So find out what the, the main um, train is in the country you're going to. Switzerland's also, we haven't been there, but it's supposed to have an excellent train system. Um, and buy your tickets ahead, even if it's like the night before. Um, so when we were went to Florence one time when we were in Bologna and we just decided the night before we were just going to go there for the day. And so we just bought the tickets online ahead of time the night before for the times we wanted to go. Because if you wait till you get to the train station, you're going to have to get at the kiosk. And the kiosk is generally very confusing. You may not know what it means. It might be in a different language. And this is a prime time for you to get pickpocketed because you're not focusing on your surroundings. Um, and this is train stations in particular uh, is where a lot of that goes on. So we recommend getting it ahead of time. Know that um, you are going to have to get your ticket validated. So we're not used to that here in the U.S. because we don't do a lot of train travel. Like if you're riding a subway or something, you don't have to have your ticket validated. But you do um, on most of these um you know, city to city trains. So you're, you, it's usually you validate it at um, some sort of a machine before you get on the train. And I think now you can maybe scan it um, on your phone. You're going to want to know that ahead of time, because if you don't have it validated and you're on the train and um, one of the employees, they usually come through on the train and check to make sure your ticket is validated. So you definitely want to have that done. And then my last tip there is make sure you're going the correct direction on the train. So we have made this mistake over and over. So like if you're familiar with, say, riding the subway in New York, you know, there's the same train goes two directions, right? Um, and so you might be on the right train, but you may not be going the correct direction. So 
to, to make sure you've done that properly, we always start with Google maps. It'll tell you like the best way on a train, which train to take. And then it'll tell you all the stops on that train and what the end destination is. So you want to make sure that when you're boarding the train, that it has the same stops and the same end destination. And the same goes for a bus too. Um, is make sure you're on the bus that's going to the same end destination. And usually with the buses, there's a sign that tells you the different stops. And if they're not the right stops, you might just need to go across the street to get on the bus going the other direction. And the same with the train, you might just need to be on the other track on the other side um, to get going the right direction. So save yourself a lot of hassle. And if, you, and if you're confused and you're like, this is the right train, but it doesn't have the right... Um, stops, it's probably because you're going the wrong way. So we, we just have over and over gotten stuck on that. And if you can't find the um, stop for the other direction, you may, that's where you may need to ask, try to find a friendly local and, and ask them. And they're usually more than happy to help. Um, if you plan to drive when you're in Europe, um, that is probably the most confusing thing. So make sure you have someone who's really comfortable driving and who can um, handle I would say stress <laughs> well, because that can be very stressful um, of they have different systems with like tolls and tickets. And a big thing in these cities is there are areas that you're not allowed to drive in because they're the historic areas and you can be very heavily fined if you're driving in these areas. So you have to understand where these areas are. And um, like in Italy, they're called uh, ZTLs, but they're limited traffic zones. So you want to look for signs um, and make sure you're not getting into those. But it's very easy to because some people have permits to drive in those. So it's not like you're not going to see anyone in there. Um, so that can be confusing. We got very confused with the toll system in Italy. Um, so try to research ahead of time how that works. We used it to kind of drive throughout Tuscany. And then um, often in like towns like Tuscany or, or maybe the Loire Valley, you may have to park in a parking lot outside the city because they don't allow driving in these historic city centers. Um, so plan for that. And then it may also be a good idea to get an international driver's license. It's not required typically, but it's something that you could show that has been validated, um, you know, should you be stopped for any reason. So my husband has done that um, before driving in Europe. Um, if you end up getting sick while you're over there. Um, two things. One, travel insurance can be very helpful. So we uh, did get travel insurance for our big first big trip where we were there for three weeks um, with all of us. And not only are you covered, you know, for delays and cancellations, um, and we do have an annual travel insurance policy in place for my family right now so that we're covered both here in the U.S. for those types of things. Um, but also if we uh, end up taking our big trip overseas. So uh, it's helpful for that, but it's also helpful for medical. And so when we were there um, in 2017, my son, older son did end up getting sick. And so um, I did my research and um, I found that the pharma, Farmacia in, in Italy, but uh, same thing they have in Paris. And you'll, you'll know this, they have like a green lit up cross is how you'll know where their pharmacies are. And their pharmacies are not like Walgreens here in the U.S. They are um, 
medicines only. Um, they do have some kind of like cosmetic type of things or, um, you know, anything health related, but they're not going to have waters and drinks and snacks and groceries and, you know, sunscreen and that kind of thing. Um, so I read where they could prescribe antibiotics in the pharmacies in Italy. So I went there and asked them, they were so helpful and they actually ended up um, having a doctor come to our vacation rental that cost a hundred euros in cash. So yet another good reason to have plenty of cash. And um, so she was awesome. And we had a little bit of a language barrier there. I probably could communicate now that I know Italian, but, um, but she was really good. And so she prescribed him some antibiotics. Um, they didn't want to do it for me at the pharmacy because they, they could, I think, but they didn't they didn't want to without knowing what was wrong with them, which makes sense. So she did prescribe something. And then I was able to go back to the pharmacy and get the antibiotics. And then um, he started feeling better within a couple of days. So we kind of just paused our trip where we were, um, which we were planning to be. It was in Bologna for a couple of days anyway, but we were going to do some day trips. So we just ended up hanging out in Bologna for a couple of days while he um, started to feel better. And, um, and then we went on, uh, on our way. So those can be helpful. Um, just be aware that they're there, um, and, you know, research what country you're in and, and what the, what they can provide for you, but they were super helpful in, in getting us that uh, doctor. And then I was able to, um, file that with the travel insurance and get reimbursed for that hundred euros that we spent. And then lastly, uh, let's just briefly talk about accommodations. So um, we did a mix um, of hotels and vacation rentals. That's what we've done over the years um, because both have their benefits, I think. Um, you get the amenities of a hotel and the help of a concierge, um, but in vacation rentals, you really feel more like a local, like one of my two of my favorites were one, we had an apartment on the left bank of Paris, which was awesome in the Saint-Germain-du-Prix um, area of Paris on the left bank. And it was just such a lovely area um, that really felt like people lived there. You weren't, uh, it wasn't touristy. Um, and so it was awesome to just go down and get our daily baguette and um, wander the neighborhood and eat in the little cafes that, you know, look out as people are walking around. Um, it was lovely. And it was, had a washer dryer, which um, be forewarned, those work differently than the ones here in the U.S. They tend to take a lot longer and um, oftentimes they're like a one unit. So it both washes and dries, but it might take like four hours to do a load. Um, but it's still helpful to have that as you're going along. And, um, as we talked about in the packing episode with Katie Pyle, uh, in the bigger cities, you might also be able to find a laundry service that you can just drop off your laundry and they give them, um, like a day or two, and then they'll fold and, and wash and dry it for you, which is really helpful. And then you just go pick it up. So um, this apartment did have uh, a separate bedroom. Um, so my husband and I slept in the bedroom. Our kids slept out on the pull-out couch. We did have a kitchen, which was nice. And then um, the washer dryer area. So we had a little bit more space to spread out. And then another awesome one was in Tuscany in San Gimignano. We stayed in this, it was like a 12, built in the 1200s building um, that looked out on the main piazza of San Gimignano. We looked out on the 
old original cistern from the medieval town. And um, it was just an amazing, like it was, it had a ton of space and it was, it was only like $200 a night or something. And we like, there was a whole loft area that our boys slept in that they climbed up a ladder that was super cool. And there was like multiple bedrooms that we didn't even need um, and a big, beautiful window looking out over the cistern on one side. And then a big, beautiful window looking out over the Tuscan countryside on the other. So uh, tough to beat that, you know, at a hotel. So we really enjoyed those. Um, and I do think that this year in particular, you might want to look more on the vacation rental side of things. They are looking more reasonable. Um, hotels are just booked and they're expensive and um, you don't get the service that you once got because of the pandemic. So like we're not getting daily housekeeping and all of that. They're very low staff. You may end up waiting in long lines to even you know get an answer to your question. So um, I like the vacation rental option this year. And then in our webinar that we're going to be hosting this month on how to save on accommodations in Europe, we're also going to be talking about things like yurts and hostels and timeshares as other options um, that our team has stayed in over the years um, and show you how those work and how to find good ones um, or even bed and breakfast. I know Cami and our team um, stayed in a lot of uh, bed and breakfast um, when she was traveling around Ireland. So all good options there that can help save you money. So I hope that um, if you're planning your first trip or your first trip in a long time to Europe, those are some things, some considerations as you're planning. Um, don't worry if you're nervous, but try not to be afraid. Like it's going to be an amazing experience to go and just be in a different culture. Like I love this for my kids. They get to see how other people live that our little space on the planet is not how everybody does things, right? People do things completely different in other parts of the world. And I just love the idea that, you know, they've been to these countries where they don't, you know, they don't speak the language and they survive just fine. And, you know, the food was fine. Like they found something to eat and it wasn't the end of the world. And I hope that um, helps them be more open to travel as they um, grow into adulthood as well. And maybe they won't have the same fears that I had when we were taking this first trip to Europe. So um, we'd love to have you join us in Families Fly Free if you want to get in on our live webinars this month all about Europe. And remember, the price is going up for the membership on Friday, May 5th. So uh, definitely join before then. Um, if you've been thinking about it, um, check out my last episode where I go through the most common questions I'm asked about the membership. And if you have any specific um, questions that aren't addressed or that are specific to your situation, you can feel free to send me an email, lynn, L-Y-N, at familiesflyfree.com, and I'll be happy to chat with you there. All right. Have a great rest of your week. Ready to fly your family free? Come join me inside my Families Fly Free program where you get my simple step-by-step -step plan and my personal help so you can make more priceless travel memories with your family before your kids leave home. Visit familiesflyfree.com join. That's familiesflyfree.com join to learn more and get started flying free today.